You're listening to the Quick and Dirty Midwife Life podcast with midwives Andy and Jen. This podcast contains explicit content and adult language that may not be suitable for all listeners. So what are we going to talk about this week? We're going to talk about taints and tears and how they sometimes tear. Yeah, taint, no they joke. sometimes tear. Sometimes they tear during sex, too. That, has that happened to you? Yes. Oh. You got a torn What was? Or... I'm sorry. What was happening? <laughs> To bring us back to a super cool part of the vulva. It's actually not part of the vulva. A super cool part of the... It's its own how, thing. How, how would you... The well, the perineum. What is it? What the fuck is the perineum? It's a little piece of skin. It is, it, yeah. A little uh, piece of skin. A little skin flap. Separator. A skin flap. A separator. A little divider. Yeah, a divider. Oh, I like that. Okay. The divider. So when I was looking up actual definitions of the perineum, it's... In, in a lot of medical um, lingo, it's called the diamond-shaped space between the inner thighs. What? Diamond. <laughs> Where's the diamond? Show? Right. <laughs> so like the picture? pubic bone to um, the asshole and then okay. this to the sides. So the but diamond they, shape. So that okay. would be... That's, but that's also including... That it does include the, the vulva. vulva. Yeah. But with our profession, what we do... And I think in sex also, the taint is the space right underneath in a person with a vulva, right at the edge of the opening of the vagina to the top of the anus. Mm -hmm. Like that's the perineum and of course over to the sides. And then if you have a penis and scrotum, it's underneath the scrotum to the asshole, right? Mm -hmm. That's the perineum that for our sake of that's this conversation today. Also known as. Oops, there it is. Yes, here we go. What Grun is it? Grundle. Grundle. Gooch. Gooch. Um, chode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what else we got? What else we got? Give me some more. We got Fleshy Fun Bridge. <laughs> oh, that's huh? a new one for me. All right. <laughs> I I'm sorry. I did not come with fresh. my perineum <laughs> nicknames today, you guys. Oh, no. I'm just blown away right now, which chode makes me laugh really hard. So my cousins, I don't know where they came up with this shit. Back in the day when we were like teenagers... Uh, the male taint was the chode. The woman's was called the Solaris. Don't ask why. Solaris. Solaris. <laughs> I want to know about Don't that. Don't know one. where they came up with that. I have. Okay. I have heard more. Um, uh, more masculine chode. You know, uh -huh. referred to as the chode, and the taint's kind of on everybody. There is um, a couple of terms that I looked up that are that I found really. One is for the taint called the banus. <laughs> Meaning the space the, the between balls the balls and the, and the anus. The I like that. The banus. And then my favorite one, which has to be, it has to be um, British or something. <laughs> it's the Twitter. <laughs> the space between the twat and the shitter. Okay, okay. The Twitter. The Twitter. Oh, yeah. darling, could you fondle my Twitter? <laughs> I like mine. I like mine being fondled. Do you like yours being fondled? Yeah. Yeah, is doesn't. That where, is what that about where you? they got the name to... For Twitter, for, yeah, the name for Twitter. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be great. <laughs> do I like my taint played with my Twitter played with? <laughs> well, yeah. no, your banus. Do you like your banus? Do you like your banus? Like, I don't believe on? it's ever been rubbed on by what? anyone besides myself. <gasps> Katie, I'll you are missing a big own. pleasure zone. That's a very important zone. I'll We're gonna to need to have a talk <laughs> with the wife. Sighing. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have to have a compilation of Richie sighing every time. We're like, what? I'm so lost. 
I am so deprived. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> I'm gonna Your have to wax that Your anus needs to be uh, twiddled. Yeah, there no. you go. Wax it. For sure. Yeah. Nobody minds a little hair. It's fine. Yeah, I'm a just a little carpet. I'm Italian. <laughs> Sicilian here. A little more than just a little carpet. Well, the taint is definitely an amazing pleasure zone. And so we yeah. work hard to protect it. Yes, we do. During deliveries. Uh, there are some like old tried and I thought tried and true measures that midwives take to protect it. Okay. And in my journey of discovery, I learned that maybe some of the things that we do are detrimental. <gasps> Tell me. I know. Tell me more. (laughs) Because I really don't enjoy suturing. Right. Now, okay, I take that back. If someone asked me to suture something at at 11 a.m., you know. What do you mean if somebody asks you to suture something? Like, if I hadn't just been at a birth starting at like say 1 a.m. and the baby came at 6 and everything's cool and we're cleaning up and then I realize I have to suture somebody and I'm like crouched on on their bed and hunched over and trying to suture them after the massive adrenaline rush of birth. Right. If someone was just like, hey, Andy, I need you to suture this real quick. (laughs) Will you just come in? Like that might be different. I I do like nerdy stuff like that. I like watching needles go through skin because I'm a weirdo. But <laughs> there's no king shaming. Doesn't bother me either. Right, right. I'm cool with that. I really, I like it. I like to watch my blood get drawn. I like to be pierced, tattooed. I like it. This is why you're a midwife. Yes, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't like to. I don't like to suture my poor clients after they just pushed a baby out. Oh, see, I don't mind it. But it is one of our top consult questions. It is. People will usually be like, "Hey, I know you like do this gig at home, but like." What happens if I tear? Do I have to go to the hospital? Do I have to feel it? No, no, you don't. Uh, we often have to tell people we do exactly the same thing that they do in the hospital and birthing centers have the same kind of numbing medications if you want it or need it. We can repair anything that is a first or second degree tear, which are the most common types. Mm-hmm. And then the third and fourth degree tears, which get into some deep muscle Ooh. and into the anus. That requires a surgeon's hand. Yeah, we don't do that. So we don't do that. But if you listen to our water birth episode, we learned that most of the time, third and fourth degrees don't really happen. Um, have you ever seen a third or fourth degree, Andy? I have. Yeah? Yeah, I saw, I've seen a third and a fourth. And now, were they your midwife clients or were they no. doula clients? No, my clients don't tear. liar (laughs) I just kidding Um, no they were doula clients in the hospital right most of the ones that I've seen have been in the hospital Mm -hmm. too and we'll kind of unpack why that's most common in the hospital for some for some reasons right Uh, I have only seen one fourth degree tear happen at a birth and it was when I was a student and it was massive it was massive yeah uh, another one that's like etched in my mind forever that I will never, ever forget was a giant fourth degree tear of a baby that came out OP. So with its face facing up towards uh, the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, depending on what position, it's facing up towards the vulva. Usually babies are, vulva, thank you, are yes. OA where they're this facing the butt. Hospital birth. Definitely. Mm-hmm. She was pushing on her back. Yeah. Uh, and so I remember this. This mother was so excited to have her her baby born finally after like a two-day 
crazy labor. She's holding this baby and she's just rolling back and forth on her on her back. And so her knees are going back and forth side to side like a oh, windshield no. wiper. And she's like, my baby, my baby. And she's just, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so gorgeous. And I'm watching her. And then I step back a little bit. And when she's doing this, I can <sighs> see the tear Ooh. all the way down to her her anus just shift back and forth like oh, windshield wipers. It makes my like stomach her, hurt oh, thinking about I it. almost lost it. You're like, don't move, don't move. Yeah, I'm like, does somebody want to see what's going on? Um, but no, fourth degree tears can be horrific and they absolutely require a surgeon. Midwives don't do that. No. No matter, usually to my knowledge, I don't know any nurse midwives that do that because they're not surgeons. But uh, yeah, we usually have to transport for, the, for that kind of stuff. So, but yes, we do. We repair people if we need to. Uh, normally it's a first or second degree tear and some of our tears don't even need to be repaired even if you mm -hmm. do tear a little bit. What's the difference between a first and second? Just They're both just kind of minor, I guess. So second degree tear gets into the top layer of muscle okay. and the first degree tear doesn't reach muscle. Gotcha. Right. And everybody's thickness of tissue and muscle are all different. Yeah. And so midwife extraordinaire Anne Fry, the author of many, many, many midwife teaching texts, uh, says that even the size or really the length of the perineum is an indicator of whether or not a person is more likely to tear. So if you have a shorter perineum, sure. you're more likely to tear. Makes sense. Because your vaginal wall almost turns inside out as the baby's being born. It like has to pull around the baby's head. It just there's not a lot of there's not, not a lot, lot of stretch, tissue. not a lot yeah. of give. Uh, and if you have a longer perineum usually well, you don't tear as, as often. Although I have seen some perineums that were tough and almost like holding the baby in. And that were long yes. too, that are long perineums. It's just, everybody's so different and their musculature yeah. and skin, everything. It's, there's That's so right. many different variables on whether you're going to tear or not. Absolutely. They different must do variables. those taint presses. That's right. Taint kegels. Taint kegels. I think those are the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> As normal kegels? As normal kegels. Yeah. I'm I mean, doing my kegels the, right now. Well, yes. So muscle, I guess it is. the kegel um, muscle, there's like, it has a, a name that I don't recall right now because we often just refer to it as the kegel, but your pelvic floor, there's like a hammock-like muscle that connects from every person's pubic bone to their tailbone. And if you have um, penis and scrotum anatomy, that, uh, you know, you're, anus. So it goes right past. And your taint. urethra go through it. Like this. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then if you have a vulva, you have three openings that go through it. Your anus, your vagina, Do and a your kegel urethra. right now. So it's like I a band. I see your face, Richie. Yeah, it's like a hammock. Do a kegel. <laughs> <laughs> Put Richie's, your kegel face on. Richie's shoulders are going up to his ears. <laughs> his chest Am I is doing it in the wrong spot? Wait. No, I've done, I've tried practicing some kegels. kegels before. I'm trying to achieve intense orgasms. That's right. You're trying to yeah. shoot your load eight feet. That's right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Going for the world record, baby. Woo! Yeah. Uh. So, so okay, I'm dying to know what what are we doing that could potentially be increasing the likelihood of a tear. Well, I need to know. Midwives have different practices or styles or even philosophies about how to avoid tearing into the taint. But tearing happens in other places too. Tearing can happen anywhere on the vulva, right? The labia, the inner labia, the outer labia, the clitoris, even on the inside of the vagina, like the sidewalls mm -hmm. can even tear. 
Mm. Uh, to tear anywhere. In general, the most common tearing happens at the perineum or right at the opening um, of the vagina near the bottom towards the anus. So what, what we generally try to support is the person who's delivering the baby can choose their own position because we know that if they're pushing on their back or if they're pushing even like even like a semi-sitting position, like on a bed or on like a stool. Like a deep squat, yeah. Yeah. And there's pressure on their sacrum or their tailbone, that's less space. And so position, 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 and let them choose it. That's step one. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one is to just let them be whenever the baby's coming out with a nice slow expulsion of the head. So that means that... The midwife isn't going, push, <laughs> push, know? two, three, get that four, baby out five, now. six, seven, eight. No, there's no, yeah, that's right. God, could you imagine? No. Oh, God. Uh, no, so we people try to, the baby yeah, down. you just try to relax into it as much as you can, which is, I understand, an oxymoron, but it does really help. So we just try to have them slowly, slowly stretch uh, the tissue down there by its own natural ebb and flow of pushing. Mm-hmm. with the baby descending. Another way that we've been taught to support the perineum is to do a warm compress. Mm-hmm. And so a nice, warm, clean washcloth. Sometimes some midwives put some oil on it too. Uh, and then we hold it or guard the perineum as the baby's head is descending and stretching the perineum so that that counter pressure there makes it so that the skin doesn't just pop. Uh, sometimes when a baby has their hand by their head, the, the hand will pop some tissue on the way out or their elbow will. Uh, and so we try to put some pressure right on that spot so that the, the tissue doesn't go with it. Mm -hmm. So that's another way that we were taught. Some providers will also do some massage of the perineum. So as the baby's head is coming down, if we see that Maybe there's some scar tissue there from a previous experience or like we mentioned those really tough. Those really tight taints. Yeah. Sometimes they need like a, we feel like they need a little bit of oil and a little bit of encouragement, especially if maybe the baby's heart rate isn't doing awesome. That's the only time that I do that. Right. I'm like, here, feel this here, push my fingers out and I'm just trying to stretch and make room where I can. Well, and some people I feel are not body aware Right. They like, don't know like where to They have like some push. dissociation with their bodies and what they're feeling, right. especially people who have been traumatized, which mm-hmm. is a really tricky area with this. Yeah. Uh, so consent, consent, consent. Uh, but sometimes I feel like you, if we just go, well, what about if you try to push right here and you kind of, you know, give that area yeah. a little bit of some pressure, they're like, oh, and then they can dial in and do it. Right. Uh, we'll get into whether or not that actually helps. So... Sometimes we massage, like we said. Uh, sometimes it just has to do with, like we said, how they're built. Sometimes tissue's soft and supple. Sometimes tissue is friable or kind of like breaks away. I had a client years and years ago who delivered at the birthing center, and we could see the tissue of her vagina and her perineum flake away, like crust. Ugh. Um, as that's <laughs> creepy. It's like a corpse. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so intense. And that poor midwife, she looked right at me. I was um, a brand new student at the time. And she goes, I hope you never have to repair anything like this. <laughs> I mean, she was having a hard time. Oh, the I woman bet. tore everywhere. Wow. So tissue is important. But I'm going to quote, I, and I want, I want to capture your reaction here, friend. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm going to quote an expert midwife, Vicki Penwell, who 
owns and operates Mercy in Action, which is a midwifery school. Mm-hmm. And they also have lots of missions work all over the, the world, specifically in the Philippines, where their midwives have delivered thousands and thousands and thousands of babies in low resource areas and also like malnourished areas. And so this is what she has to say. Based on our research in our midwife-led birth centers in the Philippines with thousands of cases to look at, women do not tear more when they give birth spontaneously under their own steam with no verbal instructions or even any caregiver-directed pushing and no caregiver hands on their genitalia at all. So nothing, no mm-hmm. touching. She says, in my experience of watching normal birth carefully without disturbing it in any way, we take vital signs discreetly. Otherwise, we leave them alone to deliver. I observe that babies are often born quickly once the head is visible. It's normal, if undisturbed, for the head to deliver at the peak of a contraction, and then the rest of the contraction turns the shoulders. Not all babies pause at the head. Many are born all the way during the second part of a pushing contraction. And when the baby does pause... The top of the shoulders are often visible. In this way, we rarely see a shoulder dystocia. This is what I have personally witnessed in at least a thousand births. I also see the heads turning and adjusting as it crowns, which I never saw before when I had my hands to guard the perineum, which means my hands were preventing those small movements of the baby. As someone who delivered babies the standard way, trying to prevent tears by slowing down the birth, the first half of my career, then switching to allow them to be undisturbed at the moment of birth, it was a revolution to me. And I now believe it is a dangerous intervention in normal birth to ask a woman to stop pushing or blow when she gets to crowning or to even guard the perineum, thereby effectively holding back the baby from emerging too fast. Most dangerous of all, maybe trying to deliver the baby's head between contractions as the shoulders are not even able to do their internal rotation because we're holding the baby's head during perennial guarding. Fuck yeah. Give me more reason to be hands off. I am down. I am down. That makes so much sense. There we go. A revelation here. dig it. What's her name? Vicky Penwell. Vicky. What's up, girl? (laughs) Thank you. So we do have like a cache of midwives who are super like no touchy, no talky, Uh, sit on your hands midwives. And then we have more hands-on midwifery. And I believe that you and I got a little bit of a blend of both. Yeah. Like the tr- traditional and the medical model midwifery. This We kind of got an intersection of that. And so there have been plenty of deliveries where I haven't touched or wanted to or needed to and everything's fine and there's no tear. Case in point, girl, your birth this week, nine and a half pound baby. Did you touch that perineum at all? Nope. And did she tear? No. Not at all. None of my clients did that yeah. delivered in the last week and a half. All three of them did not. Tear. There you go. Most of the time, our clients don't tear. And I wasn't touching any of their perineums. There you go. I don't think I was touching the nuchal one. But I feel like sometimes, like I said, they're kind of dissociated from their body. Yes. I think it can help. But I think once that we establish that place, like here, push here, this is where you need to be focusing your energy to. Once they've got that, then get out. 
and let them push there. Now, some people, though, I have had clients that are like, no, I like your finger there. It feels supportive and grounding. Sure. Just like always their choice. Yeah. Like I'll also either tell people to hold their clit or I will actually put my hand just, you know, a flat hand over the top of their vulva and they like that. It actually helps them feel more grounded. But that makes sense with you're restricting those little tiny millimeter movements by putting pressure on the head. Right. Right on. I'm I'm about it. <laughs> you know what that I've noticed too? I was thinking about this the other day. Um, you know, we were trained to get a warm compress, use oil, all that good stuff. I find us using that less and less. Have you have yeah, you noticed I've that? I've noticed that too. Where, I don't I don't even have a peri bottle ready with olive oil anymore. I don't even ask for warm compresses anymore either. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't there's no fucking difference. Like people are still tearing or not. Well, that's actually in the research it. too. Is mm-hmm. that the hands off method of just letting everything happen. Nobody's touching, nobody's talking, nobody's directing, Mm -hmm. right? Or gentle direction with a warm compress guarding the perineum, it's about Mm 50-50. Now, I believe that study, though, was done in all hospital-based scenarios with a lot of people on their backs or sitting. Evidence-Based Birth has a great episode about this that we'll link to in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's other ways also to avoid some tearing. Mm-hmm. Smaller baby, right? Giant babies sometimes will, well, they stretch out. <laughs> yeah. So uh, just making sure that a client is healthy in their pregnancy and not growing a baby that's ginormous. Right. By so, making healthy choices. And sometimes people can't help that. So if you have right. like a metabolic disease and you're delivering with a high risk practitioner, whatever. Yeah. You know, do what you got to do. Uh, but yes. Yeah. We're talking about our midwife. Our midwife here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then of course, hands off another way to avoid, like we just talked about being in an upright position or not on your back or sitting, mm-hmm. uh, hands and knees are where it's at, hands how and the babies want to come out. Absolutely. And then not perennial massage. Mm-hmm. Perennial massage is one of those While things. pushing. Or even, yes, pushing and prior. So some people are advised, did you guys have to do perennial massage? Did your midwives ask you to do that, Richie? You'd remember, I think. I don't think so. Do you know what it is? Remassage the taint. Yeah, kind of. I mean, the Twitter. The Twitter. (laughs) Right. The gooch. I don't remember that being offered, but who knows? Okay. Katie would know. Did you do it before your babies? No, I always thought it was dumb. Okay. So, wait, is this something you do like prenatally during during pregnancy? Now. So, it's not during the labor. It's actually. I mean, it can be both. Some people. But I will have people ask me, so what do you think about the perineal massage? And I tell them, don't do it unless, I mean, you can do whatever the hell you want, but don't do it to help prevent tearing. It won't make a difference. That's right. What I tell people is you can like, that can be the start of sexy time, or that can be if you want to practice releasing all of your muscles and just allowing. So that's a big thing that I talk to my clients about is we allow the babies to come. You do not have to push your baby out. Your body will push your baby out. You just have to allow that to happen. And so I will talk with my clients about, you know, doing perineal massage with their partner or by themselves as just a way to get used to that pressure in that area. Yes. And that's it. It's not going to, it's not going to like prime the skin to not tear or anything. Right. Right. And sometimes the perineal massage can get really aggressive Mm -hmm. because either the person who's pregnant can like stand up and like prop their foot up on a toilet, put a little oil on their thumb, reach into their vagina and then like pull down on it and then kind of like pull and stroke in a U shape. To like kind of stretch it down and out. Or you can have your partner do it with like two fingers. And, 
we were like, advised to do it when I was pregnant with my first, and it did not help. I <laughs> toured shit with my first baby. Um, anyway, so those those are things that that contribute to whether or not a person tears. What uh, yeah. what degree did you tear? I had a second degree tear and lots of first degree tearing. Mm. I had a very experienced, oh, Dr. Duhart, mm-hmm. a very experienced, he'd been practicing probably for almost 30 years at that point and had repaired lots and lots of people and he was scratching his head. Oh, oh yeah. shit. Yeah. And my husband at the time goes, oh, it looks like minced meat. Don't fucking tell oh, me that. No, Fuck no. you, man. Come on. Go take your nap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the doctor really was telling me, he goes, I'm going to have to take a minute and figure out where everything goes. Uh, yeah. We've intense. had those. Uh. My client that you had to repair for me because I just like was not okay at that time. Um, I do feel that with her birth, if she were to choose to birth again, that it would be a good idea to lift that labia out of the way during pushing. Like yes. she could do it herself because I think what happened was she was pushing down. She had her hand, you know, on her clitoral area and was pushing that tissue down. And so as the baby's head came out, it just thrashed that labia tissue. Yeah. But I, I'm feeling you with the not hands. I mean, hands off, hands off, hands, hands out. Off. That's my, that's my saying. To answer your question, I, I highly doubt Katie got, you, you perennial didn't give massage. her perennial massage. I think massages. she would have mentioned that to me if, yeah. if she had a midwife they, stroke in her taint. Well, no, she would have told you to do it. Oh, the midwife okay. would have okay. said you or Katie. She didn't ask me to touch the taint. So, cool. all right, know, I would have gladly obliged. <laughs> I know you would have. I rubbed that taint all night. Yeah, you would. My tongue. That's hot. Yeah, oil your taint all you want during your sex play, please. Yeah, do what you want with it. Do what you want. So. Like I already said, I don't like to suture. Um, Jen, Jen likes it. I guess I don't mind it. She doesn't mind it. You're very I don't good mind at putting it. vaginas back together. You're very good at it. I feel like, like I said, if they, if someone called me in at 11 a.m. to do it, and I hadn't been birthing with them for hours and was tired and wanted to get the hell out of there, I'd dig it more too. Um, so I'm very. I think there are times where Jen would choose to do a repair, and I'm like, nope. I'm not going to. If it's not bleeding and the skin comes together fine, even if it's a little meh. A little deeper than usual. A little deeper than usual. If I have a client that I trust to rest in the ways that we recommend, then, you know, I'll leave it up to them if they want me to do it or not. I'll explain exactly where it is, what it looks like. Well, it's always their choice no matter what. And it is their choice. Anyone, if even if you had a second degree tear and you said no, we would say, okay. And then discuss the pros and cons of that. The pros and cons, <laughs> yes. There would be a much informed um, consent there. But if we do have a tear that's kind of iffy, um, and even when we do have a tear that we end up repairing, our recommendation to our clients are to rest a lot for the first two weeks. Don't take stairs. Um, you have to be really mindful that your legs are in close proximity where you make big movements getting out of bed. If you're getting into the tub, you have to like keep your knees kind of close together and just like like swing the calf around to get into the bathtub um, because if you move that skin, it's just pulling apart. The, right. the skin starts to heal immediately after birth, which is why we usually like to check in the first hour after delivery to but see. But it does take, you, we do have some time with that though. Definitely. Right. So right. Anne Fry says we have like six to eight hours before it's past that r- repair time. Right. Where it's starting to just go back how it right. wants to go back. Exactly. But we do try to get, we try to start a repair as soon as possible after birth because the individual still has adrenaline going and it's not as intense for them. Um, 
But yeah, recommendations are you got to stay in bed. Don't take stairs. Keep your legs in close proximity to each other. Use our herbal sits baths that we have to help heal and keep the area clean and prevent infection. And we have some alternatives uh, that yes. you offer to some of your clients for suturing too. We do. And I'm super excited about it because it was one of these things that I had heard about. And in my sciencey brain, I was like, that makes sense. So um, it was actually a doula that told me about using seaweed and putting it on the tear. And um, I didn't really look into it. I was just like, okay, like, it can't hurt. Like seaweed that you buy from the grocery store. Yeah, organic seaweed. Um, not like dry and roasted or anything. Not, <laughs> wasabi. But yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> we're not putting wasabi That's hot twat right there. <laughs> Speak for yourself. Spicy twat. Richie likes those spicy twats. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like so, a little spice on my grundle. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Mm. Oh, it's a hot chode. <laughs> it's a hot chode. So anyway, I, I have seaweed in my kit with me and I will get it wet and I will apply it to the area and it's going to fall off, you know, um, whenever you get up to go pee again. But it always made sense to me. Oh, it's like a second membrane on the skin, the salt. So do you bridge the, the tear with the seaweed or do you put the seaweed depends. inside the tear? It depends on what the tear looks like. Oh, okay. So if it's like a labial tear and it's like kind of a skid marky one. Now, if there were two labial tears where the skin looks like it's going to fuse together, I'm going to repair those so the skin does not if on either side of the labia. But I'll just lay it flat on there as like a little bandage. Now, if it's a um, first, like a hardcore first degree and they don't want to be stitched and it comes together fine, I'll kind of wedge it in there. Okay. And so I did some research for this episode and turns out that this thing that's in seaweed, it's called alginate or alginate. Um, it actually promotes wound healing. It's rich in minerals and vitamins and like makes this protective layer this alginate compound is actually withdrawn from seaweed and put into bandages, like huh. used after surgery. No shit. And I did not know that. Wow. Bef I didn't know that either. Before this. So um, what I've been doing is, is working. Backed by science. <laughs> didn't even know. Nature started it. Just some hippie Science thing. caught up with it. Right. There we go. <laughs> so it actually, you know, it's, it's not some weird, crazy thing. It actually does work. And I was okay. thinking about it. One of our midwife friends has like thicker pieces of seaweed mm -hmm. um and we had talked about using that potentially but it was really hard to like you had to really maneuver it and get it wet mm. to make it more like pliable. pliable but i was thinking about it as i was preparing for this episode if you used that on like a pretty straightforward perineal tear and you could just the where the client could place it because the thing is is like you don't want to spread the skin apart right to then reapply the seaweed that's no, that's not, not what, not what we're, not what we're do. doing here. But if you had more of a surfacey one, you could definitely use that thicker seaweed to just kind of lay on top as long as you're not moving anything out of the way. Right. Okay. So another alternative to suturing um, like we do with a, a needle is Japanese suture clips. Um, yeah, we have a friend who does this. So I'd love to talk to them about that. And I will say I tried to, I looked all over the internet and what was coming up was like Japanese porn, like Japanese bondage and porn nice. clips were coming up. Your favorite. Um, right. Yeah. That's your yeah. fave. Um, so they're only to be used. These clips, they look um, like little mini torture devices. Oh, wow. Yeah. They don't look nice. I mean, they're just these metal, like kind of crinkly, like, like clips. They're only to be used in first and second degree tears. And what it's doing, it's like pinching the skin and together. holding it there and holding it there. Wow. 
So I don't know how someone would sit. I mean, we don't really want you sitting on your tear. That's the thing too, is I direct my clients to lie on their side and like do sideline nursing and things like that, depending on where the tear is. Right. But yeah, this clip just holds the skin together. And some midwives will choose to use this if they feel that going in with actual sutures is going to cause more damage, which is the reason why I choose not to suture often because there's a lot of trauma that you're putting to the area by repeatedly putting a needle and pulling. Well, but I mean, the suture clip is still a needle, though. It's not. It's not a needle. It's a like a if you had a um, like a clip for a bag of chips. Think of it like that. Really? You just pull the skin together. I, I thought that they had a little needle that pierced and stuck. Oh, no, wow. you don't put it through the skin at all. It's only exterior. Huh. But I mean, I feel like you have to have like a like a a pretty specific type of yeah. tissue like a specific type of person's perineum right. and tear for those to even like qualify as appropriate I can't see how they'd be appropriate for second degree tearing I, how are you going to make sure that the muscle walls lined up from what I the limited information I found about them they are not something I'm trying to fuck with right at all I took a workshop with a very well-known midwife a couple of years ago and she said stay away from them mm. I don't know we just need more information. We need more info. Hey, if you're using them and you like them, hey, hit us up. Hit us up. <laughs> Quick and dirty pod at gmail.com. There you go. We want to hear from you. Yeah. Okay. That's what we got. No pussy clamps. Is that what you said? <laughs> that's so that's the consensus for this quick and dirty group right here is no pussy clamps. Mm. No, no clamps. No pussy for us. clamps. No. Yeah. We're not clamping it up. So is is there a quickie tonight? You know it. <laughs> You know there's a quickie. Bend quick down the Midwife quickie. <laughs> Are you going to write some theme music for this? I do need some theme music for this. <laughs> yeah, we're overdue. We do need to make that. Could do yeah. some fun little. All right. So, because we've been talking about the taint, the chode, the banus, I thought. The fleshy fun bridge. The fleshy fun bridge. <laughs> Since Twitter. we're talking about the fun bridge, mm-hmm. where does the fun bridge lead? <gasps> Mm, depends places. on which direction you're headed. We're, we're going, going north or south. south. We're going down south. Brown Town, huh? Oh, are you going down to Brown Town? <laughs> we're talking about Brown Town. <laughs> okay. Brown Star. Yes. Yeah, so we're talking about anal today. Oh, Brown okay. Eye. Oh, the old Brown Eye. We're talking about anal play today. Okay, guy. yay. Yeah. So I was looking up some statistics about anal play. And um, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it today, uh, Mom, if you're listening to the podcast, this is where you turn the podcast <laughs> off. Shout out to D. <laughs> what up, D? But um, how comfortable are Americans on discussing topics oh, about anal all. sex? I, no, they're not. That's yeah. why we're talking about it. About That's why stuff. it's being brought up about I'm, butt stuff. I'm okay. sure there's lots of people who've tried to listen to this podcast. They're like, oh, God, no. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's why we're that's why we're bringing it up today. So 44.3% of individuals said that they are somewhat or very comfortable talking about anal sex. 44% talking about it. Talking. We're talking about talking okay. right now. So, I was even a little I, that was more than what I had kind of thought. Um 21% stated they are somewhat uncomfortable and okay. only 11.9% mentioned that they were very uncomfortable with talking about anal sex. Hmm. Only 11. I wonder what the demographics are on that. I do too, because I'm going to tell you Sometimes more things about. Lie. Yeah, right. Um, this is from Bed Bible, by the way. dot hmm. com. But I did so not this specific one, but for some of the other stuff, I kind of co. I like 
checked it against other that were pretty much the same. Okay. Um, so less people than half are comfortable talking about putting it in the pooper. <laughs> it's kind of like a taboo area. And it's becoming more, or I'm sorry, it's becoming less taboo as time goes on here. More and more people are all about the butt. I've noticed. Yeah. More people are putting stuff it's in kids there. kids these days. Licking it. Kids these days. Well, according to research, millennials are like... They're the ones that all are all about it, right? Yeah, they're yeah. driving the bus. They are driving the bus. Yeah. Uh, millennials are more likely to do butt stuff than Gen Z or Gen X. So I had to also look up what years the millennials, Gen Z, oh, Gen X, because yeah. I wasn't for sure about it. So millennials are considered people born between 1981 and 1996, which technically I'm a millennial, but I feel like I, I guess I'm technically identify more Wait, with so, Gen. So yeah, we're. I we're knew millennials. we were technically millennials. We are millennials, we're, but we're like the old geezy millennials, <laughs> like <laughs> you boomers. <laughs> so yeah, I think we're, we're the boomer millennials. I, I want to say we're really like on the verge of what is it, Gen X and millennials? Yeah, we're we're a mix of both. We're yeah, hybrids. We are um, Gen now Gen X. So before millennials, so this is this is Gen here. Uh, well, I'm kind of part of that gap generation. So, no, I mean, the, I'm, I think I'm like technically a, a Gen Xer, but I w- was born in 1977, and I think we're part of that lost generation that was between the digital and analog age, and we have our own special you have your own personality special. traits. Yeah. So, you're like X2. Because the X, Gen X is 1965 to 1980. Yeah. And then Gen Z is 1997 to 2012. So, also, while I was looking at these statistics, I'm like, there's still like not enough. If you're looking at like the amount of people in the age that are probably sexually active and even answering questions to a thing like this. Right. I don't know how many Gen Z people are, you know what I mean? Right. Honestly, I, yeah, I, that. I think if the Gen Zers were old enough, I feel like they're the ones that are all about the butt stuff. Mm-hmm. I agree. I My it, daughter's generation. Yeah. Well, they're way open they're, to a lot more. They are more open it, to toys or fingers. Maybe we just than hear any about of the other. Well, I also feel like there is a huge sexual revolution in that age group too. Right. So, all of the heterosexual norms have all been questions and questioned and thrown and, yeah and and so they're exploring everything right with yeah. sexual well, liberation with, with a lot of liber- yeah with a lot of liberty to do so mm-hmm. i mean think about what they see online every day you know we didn't sure. as kids well the access that they have to well, that's information what I mean. about everything and, it's and everything so everybody's so desensitized to everything nowadays it's right like, mm-hmm. it's a double edged sword yeah. Up in the ante a little bit. Yeah. Um, what'd you say about fingers and sixty-three percent of Gen Z individuals have tried an anal toy or fingers. So um with that staying with that with the toys or, or fingers, millennials fifty-three percent and Gen X forty percent. So now out of these three uh generations that have actually tried anal sex as the top or the bottom, so giving or receiving, um Gen X, 69% of individuals have tried it. Wow. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. Millennials, 74%. And Gen Z is 69%. (laughs) 69. 69. Um, Which, honestly, (laughs) I was kind of surprised by those numbers. It's kind of high. That is kind of high. But great. Yeah. Good for you guys. Explore your stuff. Explore your holes. Yeah. Richie, do you explore holes? Mm. I know you don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you don't. We've made Richie uncomfortable. Oh, God. I have not visited Brown Town. I can say I've. Well, I'll say I 
I drove through Brown Town. <laughs> I drove through <laughs> real quick one night. But I didn't stop in for a visit. His I didn't cock, greet his, the townspeople. His cock brushed her anus. <laughs> it's, I've Just made stopped it, for I've a, made a road soda once. And Maybe it twice. It wasn't good. Just didn't. Didn't fit, huh? My, yeah. <laughs> was not not meant to be, and I wasn't too. You weren't upset. pushing it. No. <laughs> no. Thankfully for the individual on the other end. No, right? no. If, I'm sure right. if it was uh, if it appealed to me, I would have tried it more than once or twice. Yeah. But um, it's not for everybody. The person I'm married to isn't down with the brown, so yeah. I'm cool with it. You know, no complaints. I'm not really. I'm not really into it. It's not my thing. Um. I think it's funny because so many men have asked to do it or like put something in there. And my response is like, nah, I'm not, I'm good. And they'll be kind of like, like, are you sure this? And then I'm like, listen, I know you want something in yours. Okay. So just fucking ask for it. Like, don't try and like make me feel like once you feel that I do it, then it's safe for you to be like, well, I want to try that. And sure enough, I've called out a couple guys that are like, okay, yeah. I do just okay, want to use see, a butt plug. Yeah. I, I don't mind it. It has to be right. Timing mm-hmm. has to be right and everything and setting and all these things. Uh, but my partner who likes to be the giver does not like to be the receiver. Hmm? No, there's that too. Like not even in the least. Everybody is, uh, they're different. And we celebrate all, of all y'all. kink. All <laughs> kink on this show. Whatever here. you do, we like it. Whatever you want to do. As long as nobody's getting hurt no. without consent. Yeah. My uh, key. I just have too active of an imagination for that, and <laughs> so I've I got, think of what it could yes. lead. You know, <laughs> you're scared of getting shattered. I don't want sh- yeah. <laughs> none of that truffle butter's coming your way. <laughs> I like so the color of my penis. That. <laughs> yeah. It is gross. It is fucking gross. Yeah, it's. I'm very sensitive to smells during sexy times, mm. so anything that can put me off just throws me out of the game. That's uh, you know, there. There are certain I don't like that it's things that, way, that but, one could do uh, to make sure that that kind of stuff doesn't sure, happen. Sure, there's yeah. Which yeah. One, yeah, I'm getting to that. That's one of the myths. So there's a couple myths about anal sex. One is that you'll get pooped on. Um, doesn't always happen, and we'll tell you how to prevent that. Um, the, another myth is that it's going to hurt. Now, if you're all warmed up and and lubed up, it's not supposed to. Uh, that's another thing we can talk about. If you're willing. Um, anal sex is for gay men only. False. False. That's a myth. Anal sex is dangerous. False. I mean, I guess it could be. But a- any kind of sex any is dangerous. Any kind of sex. Any things. You can put danger in anything. Prolapse no, no, rectums. No, no, danger. Prolapse, yeah. Oh, prolapse rectums. Yeah. Um, <laughs> another myth. You just need to spit instead of using lube when doing anal. No. False. <laughs> false, false, false. No spitting. Ouch. I mean, you can spit, but like it needs to be in addition to another lubricant that you're using. Um, A statistic that I just thought was, I'm not surprised by this, but um, the search volume for anal sex videos has increased by 120% from 2009 to 2015. So it's Gen Zers. Yep. Porn addicts. Into the bum. Mm -hmm. 35% of women and 15% of men are engaging in anal sex in 2017. Now, the other numbers that I was looking at were more recent ones. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, if you feel like you want to try it, if you want to be curious and adventurous and try it, there are ways to set up for it. Um, One would be experimenting with yourself 
uh-huh. first before choosing to do it with a partner so you feel comfortable with it. Um, like we were talking about, so you don't poop on anybody, having a fiber-rich diet. And there's things you can do like enemas before. Lots of hydration. Lots of hydration to just have everything move through the body as it's supposed to. So you don't have to worry about that. It's not like your poop is just hanging out <laughs> right at your right at your anus, like waiting to if come out. If it is, out. it's not time. Yes. <laughs> It's usually up higher in the sigmoid colon. That's where it's hanging out. It's usually not down where something would be entering. Um, So eat that fiber. Eat your Wheaties. Mm -hmm. Don't. They're actually really bad for you. Find fiber-rich vegetables to eat instead. Yes, please. Yes, please. Um, Usually using a toy by yourself, like I said, making sure you're really relaxed and you feel safe. Lots and lots of lube. That area of the body does not lubricate itself. Mm Mm-mm. Um, starting a position where like a slow doggy style sex position is usually best too. That feels more natural for you. Open up that sacrum. Open up the sacrum. Breathe. Let go. Enjoy yourself. And enjoy yourself. Get something put in your butt. <laughs> mm. You might like it. Mm-hmm. You might like it. So and what's the right kind of oil. lube, Jen? You're the experienced one. Uh, we like food-based oils. I was going to say it's probably oil-based so mm-hmm. it stays wet. Yep. Yep. Olive oil is like the best. It's super slippery for a long time. How does it feel afterwards, though? It's got to be a little strange having some oily. Like your next bowel movement just flies out of you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know how you know how when you have cum inside you and it kind of leaks out. Yeah, it's the same. (laughs) Hot cum in the butt. Hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. That's a. I think that's a wrap. Taint your average quickie. <laughs> Slow clap. All right. You're so All right. funny, Jen Jester. <laughs> All the puns. Full time midwife. Yeah. <laughs> Part time comedian. Ayo. Quick and Dirty Midwife Life is hosted by me, Jen Jester, certified professional midwife, and my saucy co host, also certified professional midwife, Andy Webb. Produced and edited by Richie the Meatman Burke. Original music is created by Richie Burke and Andy Webb. This show is intended to make you laugh and maybe teach you a little. It is not intended to provide medical advice, so please consult with your healthcare provider regarding your own personal care.